oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime, will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your, brook, in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. And all God's people said, Amen. This morning we're going to hear from Alex Cravens. Alex is Todd's, Todd and Lisa's um, youngest son, and he is a rising junior at uh, Gordon College, uh, majoring in biblical studies. So, Alex, please give us the word. Thank you. All right, let's just come to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for having your word. What a blessing it is, something that we can always look back on and read your promises that you've given us. You didn't have to give us the Bible, but you did. Thank you for coming down to be and to live among us and to die for us. We have so much to be thankful for. And Father, I ask that you would just prepare our hearts for what you have to say. Would we be not only hearers, but doers of the word? And so Lord, as we, we hear your word, would you just speak and would you move, move us that we would be obedient to you and that we would just have a relationship with you and have fun and enjoy your presence and dwell in your goodness. And so I just ask that you would speak through and that anything that I say would be from you and not from me. Uh, and it's in your name that I pray. Amen. All right. So they've got this really big superscription. And it says, To the choir master, according to the dove on far off terebinths. That one took me a bit. <laughs> and it took me a bit to find out that there is no answer. Um, so that was fun. And then also, a mictim of David. Again, no real answer. It's all kind of just speculation. Um, it's to the choir master, so it probably has something to do with music. Um, but we're not really going to focus on that today. But what is important is it does give us the context of when David is writing this. It says, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. 
So this makes us led to believe that David is in Gath, which is one of the five major cities in the Philistines, which is their enemies at the time. And you might wonder, why is he there? Because he's on the run from Saul, and apparently he's been on the run for so long that it's better to be in one of the major cities of his enemies than in his own country. So that's, that's got to be some serious turmoil. So I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, and then 5 through 7. It says, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long, an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long. Many attack me proudly. All day long they endure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. He is in great distress. And we see him crying out to God in a lament. And sometimes it doesn't make any sense. You know, what's the purpose of a lament? Why even tell him all of these things? But you know what? He's your friend too. He's your God. He is your mighty, mighty God. But he is your friend. And you got to tell him what's up. You got to tell him what you're going through. You got to acknowledge that he can do something about it. So you got to lay it all out there. And don't be scared to get angry. Because I was a couple of days ago. And I had to send Ian kind of the, the gist of what I was going to talk about. So I gave something. And I wasn't really sure about it, honestly. And so I also just started working a full-time job, um, working with kids. And it's very uh, exhausting. And to say the least, seven and eight-year-old boys can do that to you for 40 hours in the week. And I came back this past Wednesday night, and I started working on this. And I just got nowhere. I got nowhere for like an hour and a half. And that's, I only had about two, two and a half hours each night. And so I was just like, what do you want me to do? And so I just really felt burden on my heart. And then I'm reading this, right? And it says lament. So I was like, okay, let's go do it. Let's go see what's up. And so I got in my car. I drove to a nearby parking lot so no one could hear me scream. And I just started screaming at him. And I got really, really upset because how am I supposed to stand up here and say anything helpful if the Holy Spirit isn't with me? And so I just screamed and I cried like a child. And that's okay, because we're hopeless without God. We can't do anything without him. And I felt that. That was real. And I was like, what's the point? Am I going to get anywhere? Are you going to tell me what to say? And then I realized what else is in this psalm. And that is praising the Lord. And so, let me move on before I finish the story, I think would be best. Um, I found a quote from one of the commentaries that I, f I was reading, and it says, the more the world threatens, the greater our commitment 
not by way of striking a bargain with God, but to show determination to advance spiritually. And so that, that hit home because the harder the trial, that whatever you're going through, typically is how hard you run to God. If I'm at my job and these kids aren't listening to me because they're defiant, then you know, I'm praying, Lord, help me, help me. But I'm not like going away, running into a bathroom and crying. But when there are big things, then you run harder to God. And it's not to say, this is not, a, with the Lord, it's not a give and take relationship. It's not, Lord, deliver me and then I'll do this. Although that is actually really awesome and we'll see that in verse 12 and 13. But the point is not to say, oh, I will do this and you do that. That's just a part of having a relationship with him. And so the point is to advance spiritually. God uses suffering to get our attention. And it's not the only reason they're suffering. They're suffering in the world because we're evil. And honestly, we should all be abolished. And it's only by God's grace that we're still alive. Like sometimes we think it's so unjust that there are people who die and they never hear about Jesus. Well, it's not fair either that we get to go to heaven because we put our faith in him. He made that possible. But he gets our suffering to get our attention. And sometimes that's what, that's what we need to wake up and realize that we're not living fully for him. Again, this is not the only reason there's, there's suffering, but it's one of the main ways and modes that God uses to get our attention. Because he's a jealous God. If you're giving God attention to other things and you're, you're worshiping idols um, that you don't even know that you are, you're giving more time to those things than you are to God and they're more important than God and you're playing video games more than you're reading your Bible, then he's going to say, hey, Johnny, wake up. But he is with you in the valley of the shadow of death. But he doesn't say, I'll keep you from it. He says, I'll be with you. So when I was in the car and I was crying and there's snot running down my face, God didn't say, oh, this is what you're going to talk about. He just showed up. And sometimes that's enough for you to get going, to realize that he's with you. And if that doesn't ring true with you, then you don't know what it means. And I didn't. But when God is with you and you're seeking him, you can do anything. Because it's not you doing it. You're just saying, yes, I will walk in that. And if suffering brings you closer to God, then let's pray for it. Let's desire it, right? This world is going to end. And we're going to be either in heaven with him, having the best time ever, or we're not. We're going to be burning in hell because that's the reality. So I remember one time I did pray, Lord, bring me suffering. Let me draw closer to you. I was just bold and I was like, you know, I'm going to send it. And it was really tough. It was really tough, but it was so good in the end. And it's one of the most vital experiences that I had in my life. Godly people endure suffering because it brings them closer with God. 
Godless people just wanted to avoid suffering. That was a quote from my dad. <laughs> that, that, that wasn't me. <laughs> I called him a lot these past couple of weeks. But you know what? The presence of the Lord is sweeter than any suffering. I would rather go my whole life in the midst of Job's suffering than living my life without him. And I know that's true for you if you've ever spent a day with God. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, amen. So sometimes you just got to run to God like David did and just cry out and say, I can't do this. I need your help. And that's going to help your relationship and it can cast your burdens closer to God. In Psalm 55, verse, seven, um, verse 22, it says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Simple. It's literally in the Psalm right before Psalm 56. And uh, there's also uh, another quote here that I found. The more important purpose Oh, sorry, hold on. The more important purpose, okay, I abbreviated, I'm so sorry. Um, the more important aspect of a lament is not actually lamenting, but what you choose to do in the midst of it. So, yes, it's important to lament. You can cast your cares on him and you can acknowledge that he is there and he will help you. You can call on him and he will help you. He says and he promises that he will be with you. But the more important thing you do is when you're in a situation that requires you to lament, that you choose to praise God in the midst of it, through it, and always. And so before God showed up in, in that car a couple of nights ago, Right, I, I found, I remembered, yes, we were still to trust God no matter what. And so I just took a minute and centered myself, put on a worship song, and just praised my hands and just started to praise the Lord. And that's when he showed up. And that's, that was really difficult to do. Honestly, if I wasn't preaching about this, I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't be in that situation either, but... The point is, I, I, I wouldn't have done it. There, there, I can count a lot of times when I've been even at church and I'm going through a tough thing and I had a tough night, Saturday night, and I just didn't want to praise the Lord. I got in an argument with someone and I just, I was like, I don't, I'm not in the mood, God. And that's exactly when you need to because he is worthy of our praise and you should not be selfish to not give him what he deserves because we owe everything to him, and he doesn't owe us anything. In verses 3 and 4, in verses 10 and 11, we see David's example of his faithfulness and his trust in God's goodness. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? We should choose to worship in all situations, no matter how hard it is. And honestly, I was thinking about this, and you know, what is trust? 
how do we trust God practically? And I found another great quote. It says, trust is not a feeling that all will work out for the best. It is a conviction from what God has himself said, a confidence in his promises. So it is an inner conviction that you say, God, I believe you said that. I believe you're going to do that. And one of his great promises is that he will be with us no matter what. And that's the promise that I had to cling to that night because I knew that he was with me and I knew he wanted me to preach and I knew that he would show up. So it is a conviction with full confidence in God in the Bible that it is true, it did not get messed up being copied over and over again. You gotta have full confidence that God ordained every single word in that book. Now there are some things that you might say aren't perfect because I think, oh man, I don't even know where this is, but someone was writing, one of the New Testament authors was writing and they referred to one of a specific instance when David took bread from a priest, I believe, and I think his name was, we'll just say John, whatever. And his name was actually John, but then one of the New Testament authors referenced this and called him Adam. And so that, it doesn't mean that the rest, it doesn't mean it's not trustworthy. It was made by humans through God, the Holy Spirit, writing it through them, um, through their gifts. I'm going off on a bad tangent. But the point is, humans, God allowed humans to write the Bible, and we should trust that. Not because humans did it, but because God ordained it. And so we need to have full confidence in that, that it is exactly what God wanted to happen. So how are we to display this inner confidence in God? Well, one of the ways we can follow David's example and worship him, no matter in what circumstance we're in. And honestly, there's a lot of reasons why I might be hindered from worshiping God. And I just think it's worth it to talk about some of those things. Because there's, there's some tough things that go on in people's lives. Honestly, I've had such a great life, I haven't had a whole lot of bad things happen to me. And I'm very, very, very thankful for that. But I know plenty of people who have had really, really tough experiences. And those things can be hard, and you definitely don't want to worship God in those instances. Even my dad, his parents got divorced when he was in college. I mean, if my parents got divorced right now, I would, whew, that would be a tough shock. And so even personal injustices, injustices that you've been experienced, and honestly, sometimes the most sad things that I've heard from other people of not being able to worship God and not trusting him is a misunderstanding that God said something to them that they thought and then he didn't do it. Or you, you think that you understand the Bible and this promise that God gave and then it didn't happen. But really, we have to realize that God always acts in accordance with his character and he cannot act outside of his character and that character is perfect. He is flawless and we are filled with flaws. And so we need to trust him, that we're missing something. We're missing something. That, that's got to be it. That's the only explanation. If you think that God's not doing what he should supposed to be doing, then that's on you. You're not doing something, and that's probably 
studying and learning about him more to really understand what's going on. And also, he's also infinitely complex, so it's easy to misunderstand him. We only have certain things. We have more than what David has, right, when he was in, in this. He didn't know he was writing scripture. But he's infinitely complex, and, and so he's, he's easy to misunderstand. But that doesn't mean you give up. That just means you press harder. Those hardships compress you to learn more and learn great things. Um, and God cannot break a promise. It is against his nature to break a promise. And um, also, this, one's, this is going to be awesome. God is not obligated to reveal anything to us. I remember in that car, I prayed really, really, really hard. I was like, what am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to say? And I just kept on saying it over like an idiot. Just over and over again like something was going to happen. And all he did was show up and he just said, I'm with you pretty much. Because he's not obligated to tell me anything. He's not obligated to tell you anything. Even Job. Right? Job asking for answers over and over and over again. Why have you done this, God? Why have you done this? Why have you done this? And I'm going to read a little, little section from a couple of different chapters in God's response to Job. It's in chapter 38. And chapter 1, I believe, sets up the entire scene. So the rest is just Job and his friends praying and talking and discussing and lamenting. Like a lot of content there. And then God gets fed up eventually. And this is what he says. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, okay, if God ever was in a whirlwind speaking to me, I would just crawl up in a ball. I remember when I actually gave my life to Christ. Was I, one of my prayers, I was 16. Obviously, I grew up, you know, in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor since I was a baby. And I didn't fully commit my life to Christ until I was 16. And one of my prayers was, God, give me something, proof that you're real, that I can hold on to for the rest of my life. And I was at Berea, which is actually the last place I thought I would get saved. I actually remember saying that specifically doubting Berea's ministry. And God was awesome in spiting me. But he did. There was this one point when the, the man was preaching, and I just felt like God had this curtain behind him preaching. And then he said, all right, I'll give you what you, what you prayed for. And he just peeked it just a bit, and I almost fell out of my chair. God is so powerful. And he says, out of a whirlwind to Job, this mighty God, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge, dress for action like a man? I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? 
Will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak to you soft words? Will he make a covenant with you to take him for your servant forever? No one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me? Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. What a response. God doesn't owe us any, anything, but he has given us everything when he came down and died for us. We can have everything in his name. And if you're not a believer, you can have it too. It's not too late. But we need to trust him. But God's answer is basically no answer, right? Job was asking for all these answers. Why, why, why? And God's basically like, because I'm God and I said so. It's like when I'm at my job and I'm telling these, these boys like, okay, like we need to stay in this little vicinity when we're doing dismissal. And they're like, why? I'm like, because I said so. Because um, I have a boss just like I'm your boss. It's the best I could ever get, really. But you know what? Sometimes that just is what it is. God is God, and we need to trust. We need to have this internal conviction that God is running the universe perfectly. He is running it perfectly. And if we think he's not, then we're not understanding it because we don't have the full picture. He's got the full picture and we can trust him because he governs the future. And so we also, we need to just be okay not knowing why things happen. We just need to focus on, we just need to praise him anyways. That's what we need to focus on. We don't need to focus on running the world. We just gotta focus on running us and giving him our praise, no matter the circumstance. So we gotta have an internal confidence. Did this just go out? Okay, no it's not, okay. And it may be confusing in the moment. Job was very confused and, and that's okay. But you know what? When he got everything restored to him, so I think some like fourfold or something, it might have not all made sense, but it probably did. After that response to him, it probably made sense. And you know what? In David's life, I'm sure it made sense later as well of why God did the, the things that he did. But we got to be okay not knowing all the reasons right away. Even take Joseph, for example. I mean, good grief. His brothers sold him to, into slavery, and then he was in prison. I'd be a little confused if that happened to me. I got one brother, luckily we're good friends. But that would be really confusing. And he had such a roller coaster of a ride, didn't he? And his life was so confusing, but God brought a nation through his, um, into Egypt. And they, he saved Egypt because of Joseph. And so, not that all of that made sense coherently, but you get what I'm trying to say. Is it can be confusing, but you can find out later why. And even if we don't, we still got to gotta trust him. We got to have that internal conviction that he's, 
He's doing the best for you. And that might not be exactly what you want it to be. Um, but, okay, so we see David lament, and he, he praises God in trust. Um, and so, let's just read on. Oh, okay, sorry. In verses 8 and 9, we see something really amazing. Because how does David go from being afraid to not being afraid within two verses? It's confusing. In verse 3, it says, When I am afraid... And then the end of verse 4, um, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? That's a, that's a big, big switch. So David, and he's saying about, like, I trust in you, God. So what is, what is that that he is trusting in? Clearly, it is whose word I praise. It is the Bible. But what specifically in the Bible has given David such a conviction? So verses, yeah, let me read this. Deuteronomy 31.8. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And that was Moses talking to Joshua and the whole assembly of Israel before he died. Um, and so God gave that promise to Moses, and Moses was relaying that to Joshua and the entire nation of Israel. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it also says, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So is reiterated again in the New Testament. So that is very clearly a big flag that we can also have trust in this, this promise. And if it doesn't give you the boldness that it has given David, then we need to really understand what it means. Verse 8 in Psalm 56 says, You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. I mean, it's amazing poetry of like, you have cared for me and you understand everything that I'm going through. You care about the small details in my life. And then he goes on to progress about, then you will also be in the big things. You will be in the day when I call and I need you. You will show up. And in that day, I will know that God is for me. And so honestly, I'm so glad that I chose this psalm because when people have tried to comfort me, saying, oh, God is with you, didn't really do a whole lot for me. And I understand if it doesn't, even after today. But it should. And sometimes facts got to override feelings. And so, when you're not feeling it, try to seek to really trust that he is with you and that he is for you. Because he is. And what that means is that what can flesh do to me? There's nothing to be scared of if he's with you. There isn't. But he, Jesus has never said that it's going to be easy. 
right? He will be with you in the valley shadow of death, but he will not say, I'll keep you from it. And we see in Luke 21, Jesus is about to, I believe, ascend into heaven. And he's talking with his disciples. And I'm sure his disciples are pumped because, you know, two years, three years with Jesus, doing all kinds of crazy stuff, seeing the Son of God, being with him, being his friend, getting pumped that he's back to life again and what that means. And so they're amped. They're excited. But then Jesus says, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. Sure. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Sweet. But not a hair of your head will perish. I like that one. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Life's going to be tough, boys, but you know what? You're going to be partying with me in heaven when you're done. And you just got to keep on fighting the good fight, and it's going to be okay, because I care about every single hair on your head. I care about every single tear that has fallen from your face. I know everything. And you just got to pick it up, and you got to trust that I'm doing exactly what I should be doing. You got to trust that I got it. And you just got to keep on worshiping me and keep on fighting the good fight. You will gain your lives through faithfully enduring suffering, not escaping it. Again, Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13 says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. This is Paul speaking. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to, ab I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul understands this. He found the secret of facing anything, and that is putting his trust in God, having confidence that God is doing as he should, doing what he should. So we can endure all things when God is with us. Just as we can trust these promises of God, we can also put our confidence in other promises of God. I'm not going to go over a bunch of different promises, but the principle remains the same, that he is faithful. So we see David lament and then choosing to praise God in the midst of his great suffering because he has full confidence that God is with him and working out the best good for him, even though he does not know what that is yet. Lastly, we see David give thanks to God and promising that he will keep his vow to God, which is offering thank offerings to the Lord. So we see in verse 12 and 13, it says, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. And so lastly, we are to perform our vows to God. If you ever give a vow to God, you better darn right keep it. And give thanks to him in all circumstances, for he has saved your soul. And if he has not, then you better plead for him too. And he will. He will save you. And I can't help but remember Victoria Lane. I believe it was this past Thanksgiving service where she stood up. She said, one of my greatest fears is public speaking. 
but I made a vow to God that I would praise his name on the Thanksgiving service. And this was the fruition of, she was on vacation, pregnant with Isabel, and she was scared that she and Andrew were gonna lose Isabel. She was scared that she was gonna have a miscarriage. And she was on vac- in vacation and she didn't really have a great hospital to go to. And so she got to that point where she was lamenting. God, save her. And it got to the point, she said, when I just said, I'll do anything for you. And she started making vows. And you know what? She kept it. God saved her child. And the last thing she vowed to, to do was to give thanks and testify to his name about saving her child, Isabel, which means dedicated to God. So what a story that is. And she's one of you. You guys are all great people, and you guys are encouragement to me. And so it's just awesome to be amongst all of you because I'm not really worthy to be here, but God can use anyone. And so don't be scared if that someone is you. When God pushes, the Holy Spirit in you pushes you to do something, just do it. Just do it. And when you're in tough times, lament. Say, God, I need you. I need you bad right now because I can't do squat. And then say, God, I trust you. I know you've got it under control. I'm going to praise you anyways. And so uh, let's just do that as a close in prayer. God, Thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for saving us. You didn't have to. We don't deserve to be saved, but you did anyways. And so you give us so many reasons to praise, reasons to praise your name. Thank you. Thank you for always keeping your promises. Thank you for being forever faithful. How good you are. How sweet is your presence. Lord, we somehow find way to praise your name in difficult circumstances. Lord, help us. Give us strength. Equip us. Teach us your ways. Would we be able to learn the ways in which you work in our day-to-day lives? Would we be able to recognize that you are in every major decision that we make? Would we have trust that when you put an offer down on a house, that that's the house you're supposed to buy? This is the place you're supposed to live. This is the job that he wants you in. Or do we have an internal conviction that you are who you say you are and that your Bible is true and is trustworthy and faithful? So Lord, would you speak to us constantly and would you reveal yourself because you say that you are with us always and that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Would that become real to us, God? Would you show us day in and day out that you are there always for us, not to keep us from suffering, but to walk through it with us? And so would we praise you in all circumstances and sing your name, your perfect, holy, wonderful, worthy of praise, matchless name, amen.